Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Hey there, good people. This is Slava jumping in in the front of this episode to apologize for some audio quality issues you guys are going to hear during the episode. We're still working out some kinks with our equipment. We strive to make a good product for you. We want you guys to enjoy our discussions. Thank you for your patience, and let's get on with the episode. Well, here we are again, Jonathan. Here we are, out for a little roadside picnic, if you will. If you will, and we and we will. Um, we will, just not yet. Just not yet. Yeah. So the, this, what did you think about the first read through? Before I ask you how your week is, just to go, because it's fresh in my mind, this question. Like, just in the, before we get into it and all the side quests that come with it, as you read it, what was just a sentence or two on your first reaction? You really, you you want to get into it before you get into it. Nice. It was, it's fun, but it's vignettes, and I like a fuller story, because I have I have questions about the nature of things, and it's it's to me so far it's been a sci-fi slice of life piece, which is not a bad thing. It lives exactly where it's at knows what it is and and lives there but i i want more which is a good thing right it's a good thing so it's not bad i know that you were worried because i didn't get back to you it's just been a busy week so about because slav and i usually text about the books we're reading notes comments whatever and so i didn't message him about anything and he's like so do you hate it and i was like no i just haven't I like I barely scraped by getting done what we need to get done for the chapters today. Right. And so, so the reason I ask is cuz it is an unconventional science fiction novel. The cadence of speech even and they've done a good job translating them to where somebody who understands Russian can read Russian and maybe understand the culture. Yeah. So, but before we get into it, you said you had a busy week. Yeah, but I feel like I say that all the time. Like nothing crazy's happened. I'm still pulling pulling ten hour days right now. We got yesterday off because our superior was like, "Hey, we've had a really rough first three months with just a lot of events going on. So let's uh, let's all take Friday off." I was like, "All right." I mean, I know I've been pulling my weight, so yeah, um, very good. Yeah, yeah. I think for very different reasons, but maybe some overlap in them we both that's been our go-to answer this week has been busier than usual because now i have let's just call them campaigns it's just easy yeah without going into the minutiae so instead of one campaign i have two campaigns to monitor and plan out since march 10th that's been official up until then i was kind of helping out providing support to this second campaign but now it's officially mine so it's been, what, 15 days or so of officially taking it over, and now I have double the work. The good thing is 95% of the time, team punches out at 5, 5.30, and it's over for the day, So and nobody takes their work home. That's one of the perks. But it's still, your day's now filled with double the amount of stuff you have to track. Yep. So the work is fairly easy. Because, you know, I plan, strategize, and consult, but you still have to watch. So, the you know, it takes brain power, and you have to be on top of things. Even though other other people are doing maybe some of the heavier lifts, you need to make sure they're lifting the right things at the right time and putting them in the right place, if we're going to stretch that analogy. Yeah, I get that. It's um, It's both a good thing and a bad thing when you're, like, having to do other people's work. Yeah, it looks good for you. It doesn't look good for them. Oh yeah, and this was this 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 kind of came about in a strange way, and I I 
I have no evidence of anything, so I'm not going to speculate. But in the middle of February, out of the blue, during a staff stand-up meeting, we were just told, hey, Slava, you're taking care of this now, officially in March 10th. Why don't you just figure things out and start start taking over slowly and providing support, and then March 10th, this is you, you, your campaign. And nobody... Did that person get let go? No, no, no. No. They're still there. And Friends with the higher-ups, eh? I don't think so. The, the way the hierarchy set up, no. The higher-ups are great, and they treat everybody well. They're really good about you know having your back. The one campaign I was on, it is a lighter load than the one that's been given to me. The only thing that makes it difficult is the steps needed to gather the information because there's just more obstacles for the first campaign. Interesting. Yeah, it sounds all it's all sounds very secretive, but for now that's my personal life and that's what, how are we going to keep it? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, we're here to uh I think I told you in the last episode I was on a call and the guy was like, "Oh, nice nice uh nice microphone." Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Oh, yeah." He's like, "Do you run a podcast?" And I was like, "Actually, I do." He's like, "I know." I'm watching you. And I was like, weird. And you're asking me to buy your product? All right, cool. That's one way to do a sales call, I guess. Uh, The thing is, though, the product that he's selling is super great. And, like, totally fine giving a shout-out to them because it's a great product. It's called Mutiny HQ. They basically allow you to do A-B testing on a really personalized level for whatever ideal customer profiles hit your website. So... If you are trying to talk to general managers of restaurants or something, just to throw an example out there, but you know that the users of your platform are going to be the the cook fryers, you can create personalized web journeys on your website the second that they hit there, where it's like, hey, tell us a little bit about you, and then it loads the personalized journey for the general manager, and then the cook fryers next to them, and they both go, wow, there's... The value proposition here fits everything that I need, all of my pain points. It's a really great product. So, like, full shout out to them. The problem is that the minimum units per website visit that we need to have, we don't have. So, that's a little harder because we just, like, I think it was 10,000 units and I think we see... No, it was like 15,000 units and I think we see 5,000. It was like, it was stark difference. And it's like, he he was like, we create benchmarks so that you'd see the value of like before and after. And you'd have to pay for like four months to get your first benchmark. And like, I'm not going to put you through that. He and I had a great chat, but good. he was, you know, he, it's the honest sales call where it's like, look, we're not a product for everyone. We're not a product for small business. We're not a product for whatever. And our issue is that we're like super niche, the, our specific industry. So we don't have 15,000 units per month or whatever. Yeah. I always appreciated those uh, and still do those kind of sales calls. And what I try to do and have been successful probably eight out of 10 times is give a salesperson a chance. And then in the middle of it, in the beginning or the end of the call, wherever it's necessary, or appropriate would be like, listen, I'm happy to make this connection, but this is this product is not for us because we can't afford it. We don't want to pay for it. We don't need it. You've got the wrong guy. We are an association. We are a truck stop or we are a McDonald's and we don't need snow plows, whatever, you know, the heck is being sold. Right. So I try to give, because sales is a, well, unless you really like it, to me, it's a, it feels like a hellscape. I wouldn't want to do it, but I always try to give a salesperson some time because if not for anything just to make a connection a networking connection it's it's funny you say that so he and i you know he early on after he showed me the demo he's like hey i don't you know and, and heard the units he's like i don't think that we can help you out here and you know he's just being super honest and i was like that's cool and then we were talking about marketing and stuff and he's like um can we like keep in touch because i kind of want to steal you over to our company and i was like that's the second time I've heard that in the last month, which is like a good feeling. It happened at the trade show too. Um, one of the, there this like vendor, this woman who works at one of the, sorry, partners. That's what we call them. Um, partners came up and was like chatting with two of our sales guys. And she's like, oh yeah, like really love your booth, blah, blah, blah. And one of them was like throwing me the praises and stuff. And it was cool. She's like, well, I've got an opening on my team. I'm trying to rebuild. 
And he's like, no, you can't have him. He did so good. Like, not allowed. And so it's the second time that this has happened, which, you know, is a is a nice feeling. Right? Yeah. So. No, I bet. I bet. All right. Um, so let's get back to pre Business? The Way of Kings. Yeah. Pre The Way of the Kings. We're going to read a short little synopsis plot. And then we're going to start talking about it. Sounds good. So I'm going to, this is straight from Wikipedia. I'm going to read two short paragraphs and then we're going to get into Roadside Picnic. So, Roadside Picnic is a philosophical science fiction novel by the Soviet Russian authors Arkady and Boris Trugatsky. It was written in 1971, published in 72, and it is one of the brothers' most popular and most widely translated novels outside the Soviet Union. As of 2003, I guess this is when this Wikipedia article was written, they have counted, the brothers have counted that their book has been translated in 22 countries and has had 55 publications. I don't know how wow. they count those 50, 55, but there it is. So, yeah. They usually um, count in Russian. Yeah, they do. So it's double the, double the regular <laughs> numbers. Where are we here? Yeah. So the novel is set in a post-visitation world where there are now six zones known on Earth that have that are full of unexplained phenomena where strange happenings have briefly occurred assumed to be visitations by aliens so governments in the UN fearful of unforeseen consequences try to keep tight control over them by preventing leakage of artifacts from the zone but a subculture of stalkers scavengers who go into the zones to steal the artifacts for profit has evolved around the zones this novel is set in and around a specific zone in Harmont, a fictitious town in an unspecified English-speaking country, and follows the protagonist over the course of eight years. There it is. And in this uh, episode, we'll cover the introduction, first and second section. So you thought it was um, you thought it was a little lacking. You wanted more. You were saying in the beginning of uh, it's of not, our chat here. It's not. So it's hard. To, it's hard to use words. That's the podcast. That's it. I'm done. It's not a roadside picnic. It's just hard to use words. So it's it's lacking in the sense that the book isn't long enough because I'm used to people at least giving me a little more. I'm so I'm so inundated with progression fantasy these days where oh yeah, they'll drop a note about oh this is how the power works or this is an item or blah blah blah. And then you know that you'll get at least a little more about that later. But that's not the type of book this is, which is fine, but it's my current preference of I want you to take a piece of the story and then if you're going to drop it on me, like expand it. And so it's not bad. This is this is just a it's a good critique where it's, you know, it's there's not enough content. So I got through intro chapter one, chapter two. And and frankly, it took me a like half of chapter two to realize that we were still talking about the same character from chapter one because there was such a time gap. And I was like, isn't that the woman at the end of the first chapter who, and they're like, did they get married? Because it sounds like his name is different or like his nickname is different or something like that. So that was a little confusing, but also they're introducing a new, a new thread where we're following this other scientist or whatever because yeah it's just interesting where there's new threads being pulled in but i know that it's a four chapter book and so or four section book whatever so i'm just like i don't think that i'm going to be satisfied the way that i'm satisfied with other books now granted Mm -hmm. this is russian and, and the only other russian literature that i've read was the witcher i read five out of the seven books again translated because i don't speak russian I, it's a different writing style, which is cool and fun, but there there's a little bit that leaves. It's like drinking a glass of water and still being thirsty. I'm like, well, I'm not satisfied with the storytelling, and that's only because it's not told in the way that stories are told in my culture, which is they're more complete. I mean, if you go watch like a, an ancient Greek play, and you go through and you go, oh, and then it ends, it's, you know, say it's a tragedy. You go, wow, all right. Little confused, but also like super glad I'm not Prometheus getting my eyes plucked out every day by ravens and then I'm regenerated, <laughs> you know? Right. Because the storytelling is just a, it's different in different cultures. 
Yeah, yeah. So it's not bad. It's just I want there to be more. Yeah. No, for sure. I I mean, for sure. I I like it because I like weird novels like this. The content's good. There's just not enough of it. No, I get it. Fair, fair, fair critique. So before I get into what I want to read to you, this is a setup for what I want to read to you. Then maybe we can go on this side quest. You going to touch so me at the end, too? Um, I even sing you a lullaby. Oh. <laughs> so what are your Better thoughts? Better be in Russian. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the alien's visit and the human reaction to it? So it's a little bit different than your usual sci-fi, right? Yeah. Because I, I think of something like mainstream, very popular, like Independence Day, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a visitation, and you have two possibilities, evil intent, you know, non-evil intent, positive intent. And then you have the idiots on the bridge or on the top of the skyscraper who think, you know, aliens are going to come and get, tuck them in and give them hugs and infinite knowledge, and they get blown to bits. And then you have the government and Will Smith's character connected to that who are like, oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're about to get blown to bits. We need to react. We need to protect. And then, you know, humans win. Will Smith. Will Smith. Will Smith. Bit, yeah, Will Smith. Uh, Will Smith punches an elephant or slaps an elephant. There it is. Not an elephant. Did I say elephant? An alien. An alien. So Will Smith was in slapping things for longer than than just the, you know, last year. The old slap and tickle. The old slap and tickle. So you have that kind of sci-fi. You have aliens sci-fi, right? Like 1970s alien and aliens. Yeah. Where, again, the aliens are clearly like not alien here predator, to play. for those who don't know they're not here to play around and give you infinite knowledge and you know tuck you in at night they want to eat your face or impregnate you with their demon spawn <laughs> which will come out of come out of your stomach and then spawn other aliens yeah just watch alien it's a really good movie also came out in the 70s but it's western it's american a different storytelling so anyway with that explanation what are your thoughts on this particular visit i mean okay so the visit itself honestly sounds reasonable. I'm a little bit ahead at the moment because I started Chapter 3 while I was getting my oil changed. And the premise of the aliens only coming for a roadside picnic where like, we're just passing through and literally they're throwing their garbage out was like, oh, interesting. I mean, it's kind of fun. But if they're this extraterrestrial life that is intelligent enough to travel through space and time i would say like yeah why wouldn't you litter on this planet of you know perceivably lower intelligent beings who haven't even figured out how to travel through light speed yet like dummies so yeah leave your trash there let them let them play with your trash and try and achieve you know extra nuclear weapons or something right the technology it would take to travel the distances of space, light speed or no light speed, forget that, but just the technology and the time it would take to travel the distances of space, like even in our own universe, observable, what we know to be, you know, our universe, right? What we've seen with telescopes, even to travel those distances, the technology it would take is almost incomprehensible to humans. Isn't like, there I mean, still... I'm, I'm sure so... No, go, you can finish. I'm sure, you know... Some scientists who are working on it or studying it can give you a synopsis of it. But even then, you, you strip away all the, the, you know, the, jar, the jargon, we still don't know. And the only thing we do know that it would take immense, immense advances for it to be conceivable. So if an alien race is able to traverse you know, the distances in space, they would not even think about what they're doing no more than you and i going to a picnic in a park thinking about the mosquitoes or the flies or the ants or anything that we're sitting on as we're sitting in this park eating you know whatever prosciutto and uh and uh, and cheese right right and that's kind of what the strugoski brothers wanted to do to to pull out you know out of the readers this is what they wrote it's a a book called strugoski and strugoski published in 2007 this is a quote from it We are most interested in the philosophical and sociological aspect. How will the relationship between humanity and alien civilizations develop as soon as contact is reached? What are the possible ways of developing contact? What are the likely consequences of contact for humanity? 
for its science and technology, for mass psychology, for history in general. So that's the questions they were trying to answer. And the answer they, they give in the book is it wouldn't matter at all. Like it would be a passing thing for the aliens. And for us, we might go nuts as humans and give value where there is no value. Like if an ant was sentient enough to realize that, wow, this beer bottle cap must be given to me by gods or these tall giants that were just sitting here and ascribe some sort of value to it when in reality it's just a cap from a beer bottle. It has no yeah, value but it's, whatsoever. It, it holds a different power source because of these alien entities or whatever. This I'm trying to look yeah. up right now because I thought that we, at the extent of our human intelligence, didn't we ship out a spaceship in the 70s? Is it the Voyager? It's the Voyager. And um, Voyager message is carried by a phonograph record and a 12-inch golded copper plate disc containing sounds and images selected to portray the diversity of life and culture on Earth. Launched in 1977, both Voyager spacecraft began a historic journey and each carried a unique time capsule along with them. That's okay. from NASA's page on the Voyager, landing page on the Voyager. Bold to think that we think aliens have phonographs. All right, cool. Even that makes the point that the Strugoskis are kind of making in this book where, like, if aliens existed and they had the technology to come here, it would be no more than a picnic for them. The Literally, it's a rest stop. They literally put their spaceship down to take a poo and maybe grab a Snickers bar out of the trunk. Proverbially speaking, right? Sure. That's it. That's all that's happened. You know, but the interesting thing is how the humans are reacting to it, I think. At least for, for me and, you know, probably for, for, for the authors too. Because, you know, like what do they say? What are the likely consequences of contact for humanity? That's in the book letters that they've written that, that, that are recorded in the book uh, I mentioned in Strugoski and Strugoski 2007. So you mentioned Ursula Le Guin. Uh, she also has uh, some commentary on it, and so I'll read it and oh, let really? you... Oh, uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, She says it's an unusual first contact story because aliens have visited the Earth and gone away again, leaving behind them several landing zones littered with their refuse. The picnickers have gone. The pack rats, very but curious, approach the crumpled bits of cellophane, the glittering pull tabs from their beer cans, and try to carry them home to their holes. That's what she wrote in 2012. I think she died in 2018. Okay. So it's re- it's been it was like recently, maybe 2019. Yeah. And then a guy named Carter, because I read a paper on it, like a academic journal on it, and so this guy who I'm reading, I, he quotes a guy named Carter. He goes, "Likewise, Carter noticed how science fiction elements are ever present, and to be sure they're the tor- turning point of the story." but they're far from the G-Wiz pyrotechnics that a fair percentage of the genre relies on, right? So even though this is science fiction, even though this is aliens, there's no Will Smith punching aliens. There's no aliens creeping through spaceship, careening in space. There's no Riley, I think her name is in Aliens, right? Yeah. I forget. Yeah, I think that's Riley. right. It's, yeah. So there's no Riley. It's just six countries with six zones, and this mythos around the zone, and I'm going to spoil it alert, there is the Golden Circle, which is the, le- the kind of legend of, of the zones. And it happens to be in this zone that we're, that we're viewing through the eyes of a red protagonist of the story that supposedly grants wishes. But, like, where did this – So, so, yeah, it's been mentioned a couple times. But where did this legend come from? From the stalkers who have apparently, like one of the guys in chapter two, the guy who loses his legs, he has seen it and claims he's used it or at least, you know, alludes to using it. Yeah, but he sounds like a wacko. Well, he, he's called the vulture. So he's, if he's not a, a wacko, he's at least a liar and, and a, yeah, a shyster. Picking, picking up the scraps. Right. So yeah. what was the deal? And this is one of the questions where it's like, okay, well, but tell me more. So Red has this. He, he goes out. I liked the nuts and bolts thing, the Hansel and Gretel. I like that was cool. But his buddy, whatever his name is, and I realized, I think they referenced him as the scientist who died in a later chapter. I just can't remember yep. his name. But, Kirill. Yeah. So he 
gets this like silver spider web thing on him and then dies from a heart attack but red checked his back like two or three times i don't i doubt that that'll be explained because this is russian literature and so it won't be explained right the the, the thing is the zone killed him and that's why there's so much danger and that's why red is as eccentric is the right word the wrong word he's so paranoid but yeah uh properly paranoid yeah. Properly paranoid because he has seen weird things happen in the zone. And the nuts and bowls, the Hansel and Gretel thing, that's because you step in the wrong side of a road and you're dead. And what's the. That's. Sorry, I keep going. This, that spider web is exactly it. Because the zone is radioactive with whatever the aliens left, It there's time even feels different in the zone. Yeah. Some of the. Laws of physics are kind of upended in the zones. I mean, that kind of answers the question I was going to ask about the trucks and the and the gas container thing, where yeah. one's fully rusty and the other ones are just getting newer. Yeah. So whatever was left over is probably more than just refuse, right? The it maybe it was um, from the spaceship's jets or propulsion propulsion system, sure. fuel or something. The fuel is so different than anything that we know on this planet. It has altered the landscape to such a degree where even time is affected. Red knows that it was the spider web that killed Kirill because the sp- everything there is poisoned to or toxic. Yeah, right. And so way. you have to be careful not to touch even walls or even step on certain on certain parts of the road because, like that nut that was you know uh, pulled into some sort of black hole. Yeah, past the, the, the road, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a road two inches away. You're stepping on the same rocks, the same pavement, and you're doing fine. Two inches to the other side, you're getting sucked into God knows what. Does he, though? Does he know? Does he know exactly? No. But he only knows the danger that this, these things possess. Mm. Now, beyond the immediate, what he can immediately see and observe, he doesn't know where those bolts went. And I don't think... It was in the Strugowski's uh, head that these bolts go into a third dimension or literal, sure, a literal yeah. black hole. It adds to the sus- suspense and the eeriness. But at the end of the day, it's just an upending of the laws of physics, but in a really small space. Not like the whole zone is now all jacked up. It's just these four inches of the zone are somehow messed up and they eat bolts. And if you step on that, they will eat you too. So it's it's left unexplained there's no details given to how those holes work you're just supposed to wonder and the whole the whole point i think this is what would happen if aliens came it wouldn't be the ridley scott version it wouldn't be the independence day version it'd be this they would take a poo eat their snickers and move on and humans would be left with the 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 aftermath it's a very russian take yeah and there's more to it, right? There's also questions. This and it's very Russian. This is very Russian too. And this is from the paper that I found on uh, on Juster. So, what do people need to be happy? And what role do the government and technological development play in that need? In Roadside Picnic, happiness is a measure of self-preference. The protagonists reach their own epiphanies about what the future needs, be that the next step in human evolution, or the general wish for freedom and happiness, whatever that means to each protagonist there is an allusion to the idea that the future does not yet exist thus implying that it is susceptible to change and that's a separate side quest for us maybe the next episode because now we're really getting into section four Mm. but but all this is being built up into what we're reading too because even why does red uh, rat out the guys who want to buy the hell slime in chapter two, he rats out himself too and goes to jail. Is so that even what he happens? Is a, that's what I remember happening. He let me bring up the chapter summary. All right, so here it is. So after the he comes back from the zone with Burbridge, who has his leg melted off or both made of into them, rubber. I no, Redrick is. We have both legs. Both legs. Both legs. Yep. Yeah. So then you, you get the vignette with him and the wife, and him playing with his daughter, and then Redrick meets his clients in a hotel room, selling them a fresh portion of the zone artifacts, because remember, Bur- Burbridge gave him all the artifacts to save his life. Yeah. But what they're really after is hell slime. It is hinted that they want it for military research. Redrick claims he does not have it yet and leaves. Shortly after Redrick is arrested, 
but escapes. He then contacts his clients, telling them where he hid the slime sample that he had smuggled out previously. Redrick insists that all the proceeds from the sale be given to Gouda. He realizes that the slime is going to be used for some sort of weapon of mass destruction because he's a, he realizes these are government folks, but decides he needs to provide for his family. And he gives himself up to the police. And the this all happens around the bar where he realizes Kirill is dead and he punches the guy who he thinks insults Kirill's death or, you know, makes light of it. Yeah. All that happens around this. And then you get a little vignette with him arguing with the landlord. So all these things are happening. And that's maybe where your confusion comes in. But overall, at the end, he gives himself up to the police and then he serves his sentence red is first a stalker then he gets a he surfs six months then he gets a chance to work for the the institute which studies this stuff so now he can go into the zone freely and help you know like help kirill find stuff but then kirill dies and he's still kind of on the side is also a stalker because a stalker is always a stalker and after kirill's death he has like a an epiphany i guess or something some kind of change of perception and that's where those philosophical questions the Sugaskis are put into section three and four four specifically will make more sense as to why red is thinking about all this because he has a daughter she's normal and smart but she you know looks like a little monkey because she has just blonde hair all over her face yeah and he has a good like wife wolf boy yeah like wolf girl yeah he has a good wife that despite his shortcomings and terrible characteristics and his dangerous lifestyle still loves him still kept his kid uh who you know who turned out to be with birth defects like it was like it was as said the prophecy she would be. foretold as the prophecy foretold so he has a really good wife and in the movie which is funny enough deviates also called stalker and for those of you who want to watch this is my word for it i might be misapplying the word if you want to watch high cinema like very cerebral high cinema out of Russia. I would watch anything by Andrei Tarkovsky, specifically his movie Stalker, which is based on this book. But from what I was able to ascertain in reading the papers I read and reading some synopsis online uh, preparing for this episode is the Tarkovsky and the Strugatsky brothers have the same relationship as uh, Kubrick and Stephen King on The Shining because there's very little bit from the little bit from the book that made it into the movie, except some of the philosophical questions about that machine, the wish-granting machine, the golden circle. But even the end is different. I won't spoil it because this episode's not about the movie, so go watch it, Stalker. Um, it's really cool. But again, very different than the book. And from what I was able to ascertain from my little bit of research is the Strugaskis didn't necessarily hate the movie as much as King hates the movie that's based on The Shining. Although, from what I read about that, even he's come around a little bit. But they were not pleased with the ending because they felt it um, They felt it lacked, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, they felt it lacked courage because it was so ambiguous, such an ambiguous ending. And they said, that's the problem with cinema. We can get away with being ambiguous and not answering the question more fort lightly that you're sitting sitting in. Do me a favor. So whatever. Do me a favor. So I'm sure that their their interview was in Russian. Uh this was I no, this is what I read in some academic papers because oh, there's academic man. papers on this book. Yeah. I wanted you to um, tell us that in Russian there's no courage. There's no courage here. Uh yeah. boop. Well, if you uh let me see if I can look up the quote at least in English so I'll do it some <laughs> justice. I didn't know King didn't like the shining. Yeah, because it's such a deviation from King's work. I haven't read and, The Shining, so I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I read, well, like we talked about when we did a Stephen King episode, we talked about this. I said I read about three of his books in full. Yeah. And then about 99%, maybe a little less, whatever, a lot, a lot of his short stories. And The Stand, um, I didn't finish it, and The Shining, I didn't finish it. For whatever reasons, just uh, it didn't keep me. Neither of them kept me. Didn't he write interested. the mist as well? Was it the mist? They're trapped yeah. in a grocery store. There's aliens yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. He wrote that. That's one of. That's, I that's really liked that. That was good. Yeah, that was a, that, that was, was a really good, really good piece. 
Yeah, and that the the movie did a justice to the book. I yeah. meant I've seen the movie. I haven't read the book. Okay, well, it, that's it was one good. that he's not. It was good. Yeah, it was really good. Man, I love Kubrick. He was so good. Yeah. Oh, side quest on Kubrick. You know how there's this legend, um, and it's part about how true. he died. No, 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 no. Uh, not not even that. That's interesting right. too. But right. but how he would admit whether or not he. Whether or not he made the moon landing? No. We're not going no. to... All right, man. Huge. All right, what's the third one? What's What What have I missed? Well, how he used to take... Make, make... How he used to make the actors do, like, 400 takes. Oh, that's not a myth. That happened. He did that. The, the myth behind it is that he was a perfectionist, and he really wanted to get the just the right kind of type, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't sleep at night unless it was exactly like he wanted. That's part of the story. I saw an interview, and I mean, this is the internet, so it could be edited to say anything you want. But I saw an interview on Instagram, so you know it's even less trustworthy. But as I was scrolling, <laughs> it, the, the, it came up with Kubrick's face. The what he said, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. People say I'm a perfectionist, I'm this and that, but actors are just lazy. They they make you think that they read the script and they want to act, then they get on set and they don't know the script. That's a hundred percent true. If I make him take a hundred takes, hey, they actually re- get get it in their head, and that hundred take comes out with what I want to see. That's true. So that's true. Like, you jackass. But it's funny. That, hey, hey. No, that's no, the no, business. no. This is the, it's, it's. I'm the not. Business. I'm not even blaming him. It's the business. So I I paid to to build my own short short film. Had a buddy of mine. Who, I helped come up with the story, but he actually wrote it. And day of the lead actor comes on set and he can't remember his lines. And I was like, bro, what is going on? We've been over this. We did rehearsals. Like, he's like, I know. I'm just, I'm in four different productions right now. And I was like, you told me that you had time for this. Well, yeah. And I was like, you need to get your shit together. Because I don't have money. Because I'm paying for everything. I'm paying for people to be there on set. I'm paying the actors just a little bit of money. And covering gas money, I'm getting all the food, I'm like making sure the extras are taken care of, I'm running out the space. And I was like, I don't get a second day. So get yourself together. And I never ended up cutting it together because it just it had it had more problems than I was comfortable with in actually releasing it. And I was I think I was insecure on that. But I I was so frustrated because he told me and we talked about this and we did rehearsals. We literally did rehearsals. I was just so frustrated. I was like, you told me that you had time for this. You told me that you would prioritize this and you didn't. And it's disrespectful to me, to the other actors, to the to the extras, to the crew. It's literally disrespectful. Anyway, yeah. no, that's no, no. my rant. Yeah, when I say, haha, you jackass, I really don't mean any disrespect to Kubrick. Because I think it's funny. Because, yeah, you know, you get a lot of self-entitled. Because we met some of them. Mm-hmm. So Jay Leno, I just saw a thing from him recently where he was talking about when all that NBC stuff happened and him and Conan O'Brien, whatever. But he has, this, he has this moment where he's like, how many of you think I should take a pay cut so that we can keep the crew? And, the, you know, everyone raises their hands. The pay cut was $15 million. And he was still going to make 15 for the year. Like, okay, so he took a 50% pay cut so that other people can keep their job and they keep the, the Tonight Show going. You know, you get one year of making 30 mil, and I'm sure it was more than one year, right? Like, probably at least yeah. two. But it's like, take the pay cut, man. Like, you're not doing this for the money. You're doing this because you enjoy it. Like, And if you are doing this for the money and you literally can't like keep a budget, then that's a different issue that you should deal with. But If you can't afford food or your house because you're only making $15 million, you got problems, bro. Yeah. Like you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is not this is not fifty thousand dollars a year versus twenty. Where like yeah, that which will freaking big, affect. Re- which is a, like, and that's still pretty steep, even ten yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah, because that will affect you paying rent in the cheapest neighborhood. Fifteen million, you're you're doing just fine anywhere. Yeah, but I found that uh, I found that uh, quote by. Um, Strugatsky's about the film, mm-hmm. specifically about the ending. Is there a second book to this? Probably not. It was published in uh, 1972, and in subsequent publishings, 
it came out with a second, uh, like novella, second short story attached to it, which was called The Tale of the Troika. And Troika is a train, really, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know what that means. I don't know if it's a follow-up to you read Roadside it? Picnic. No, no, no. Never, never read it. Mm. But anyway, here's the here's what they had to say about the ending of Stalker, the movie based on Roadside Picnic. The fact is that the ending, which is good for the story, the so-called open ending, that's, that's what's in the movie because it's ambiguous, is bad and even worthless when it comes to cinema. Cinema is crude, simple art that does not allow for omissions and double interpretations. That is why we fought for so long trying to find the ending at the same time, both strong, spectacular, and significant, deep in meaning. In my opinion, we could not find such an ending, but what turned out for Tarkovsky was quite fine with me. It turned out, in fact, an open and at the same time successful ending, a rarity for cinema. So so part of it is they're like, uh, we don't like the open ending, but it turned out fine for him. Is is what I get from it. So there's a maybe I overstated it in the beginning, uh, but I guess it's a, like a maybe a a love hate relationship for them. Interesting. It must be a weird feeling to have a book that you publish. It goes well, and then someone's like, "I want to make a movie out of it," and they make the movie, and then you're like, "Eh." Maybe I misread it completely. I I might have to. Uh, I retract my my previous statements because. Now that I'm rereading, rereading the, the little bits of pieces in the paper, it's noted that Tarkovsky decided to change the plot by sacrificing professor and writer in the zone. The stalker receives wealth of his uh, instead of his daughter's health, cursing his subconscious desire to get rich. In the last version of the script, as in the film itself, none of the characters enters the room of wishes. Startled and powerless, they return from the zone empty-handed. And so that's what uh, Strugoski comments on. I can't even say, I kind of overstated it. So, because the ending in the book, the ending in the book is what's open. So I, I screwed that up, but we've been going for an hour uh, now. So any uh, final thoughts on part one? No, just, just the vignettes thing that I mentioned at the beginning, which is fun, but feels more like a short story than a novel at the moment and and it's it's pattern recognition right so like if you have ever seen Paris Jatem it's like 18 short films all around the same theme which is falling in love in Paris okay cool or you've read an anthology where it's like it's all around the same theme of dancing in the wind and it's you know 37 short stories on that theme and they're all going to be different from all different authors okay so to me when you do a bunch of vignettes and I realized that it's, it's, I think, I think my main takeaway is just like the storytelling is different and it's translated, which, which, you know, leaves something to be desired. I'm sure again, not bad, just, just different and a little challenging to love for everything that it is appreciate. Yes. But love, eh, I don't dislike the book and I'm sure that I'll read it again, but it, it's not in my it's not in my wheelhouse for life-changing or top 10 or most entertaining. Certainly it's in, it's in a category of its own where it left me wanting more, which is also a rare category. And it's a good category to be in, but I don't like when authors don't follow up with good stories that don't have series attached to them because there's a desire for more. And, and I, and you know, call me a, uh, a, a fat prince consumer, whatever you will. But if it ain't broke, don't fix it. No, I get you. Well, here's another quote real quickly. Um, so the one I just read where I realized as I was reading it, I might have overstated how the Strugatsky brothers felt about Tarkovsky. Here's another quote uh, about the adaptation and about the difficulties of adaptation. So this is a year later. That quote was in 98. This is a year later. Boris Strugatsky writes in 99. The main difficulty was that Tarkovsky, being a filmmaker and also a brilliant filmmaker besides, saw the real world differently from us, and he built his imagery world of the future film differently than we, and as a rule, 
He couldn't convey to us his own purely individual vision. Such things cannot be verbally processed. No words have been invented for this, and it's impossible, apparently, to come up with such words or perhaps to invent them. Therefore, in their ad- adaptation, the Strugoski brothers decided to freely approach the work of Wagner, whatever that means. I'm not going to read any more because it, that's definitely off off the the track for this episode. Sure. But so so I think um, I think there might have been a very diluted form, if I can you know if I can apply that that term here, of what King felt uh, Kubrick did. But they, you know, they realized that Tarkovsky was a world-class filmmaker, but he couldn't convey in film exactly what they wanted to convey in word. And I think that's going to be an unending back and forth. Yeah, that's an unending battle. If you are writing a book and you want it to be a certain way, then go take your film rights because it's your intellectual property and go make the film. Like, I don't. If you sure you can give the critique, but I, I don't think that it holds a whole lot of weight because. If you have a successful book, then you should have the money. Or if you have a successful book, you should be able to raise the money to do it. And then maybe you have him come on as a producer because he knows all the techniques and the whatever and like blah, blah, blah. But like if you I don't I don't see a whole lot of justification for successful people complaining about how their book was turned into a film. Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. I don't have any uh, sympathy for King's you know, complaints either. I mean, I might understand him. I'd be like, no, I get it. What you're, what you're saying. Yeah. But you sold the rights. Yeah. And Kubrick. Yeah, yeah. In his interviews about it, it was like, yeah, I'm telling a different story using the framework of the shining. Yeah. And some events kind of are transposed, meaning like, you know, not, they're not directly re- replicated in the film. Transpose is how I would say it, but it's my story now, bro. I've enjoyed The Shining. I watched it probably 30 times in my life. I love The Shining. I love Kubrick films. And I love King. I really do. His short stories are amazing. Yeah. His book, It, I think it's great, uh, aside from a few critiques. But, hey, who am I? Whatever. You know, I've never everybody actually would have, read It. Would have, everybody can have critiques about anything. Aside from a few minor critiques where I was like, I roll. I liked the book because I could identify again with some of the kids and what they went through and how they're processing the world around them. I can get that. I like Needful Things. I think it's a great premise, great plot. Garbage. Dog shit ending. If you read the ending of, of Needful Things, you want to throw the book across the, the room. The Stand. Is it, I read is only it Deus Ex pa- Machina type stuff? Where it's like, oh, and suddenly... Yeah. Yeah, and it involves, and spoiler alert, it involves a bouquet of fake flowers. There's this great scene where this guy who's injured, it's almost like a movie scene, this guy who's injured, he's leaning out of a car and aiming a gun at Ace Merrill, who's one of the antagonists, and he blows Ace Merrill's head off just in time, saving somebody. Great. And then Pangborn, who's Sheriff Pangborn, who's the protagonist, fights with Leland Gaunt, who's the main antagonist. And in their fight, and Leland Gaunt's supposed to be kind of like a devil, demon, something like that. Like, he bests him with magic. Like, fake magic. Like, magic. Like, Like fake magic, though. Not like even magic, like in summoning an angel or the forces of light or whatever, which would be just atrocious also for this uh, setting but bests him with illusion like like a sleight of hand with uh, fake flowers and king even gets gets it in a lot of the stuff that he puts out online when he talks about his writing style and his craft and his books he even pokes fun at himself sometimes that people don't like the ending of his of his books and that's even brought up in the the new it series the two volume it uh, that came out a couple of years ago he makes fun of himself because the character that plays the writer in the in the movie, he, he's talking to antique shop owner who's played by King himself. He sees his book on King's uh, counter. He's like, you want me to sign it for you? And Stephen King, who's playing the, the owner, goes, nah, I didn't like the ending. So at least he's, uh, he's at self-deprecating about it. I still have a copy of Needful Things because I love the book. but And I just know, when I, and I read it like two or three times, but I know when I get to the ending, I'm like, okay, Sheriff Pangborn, let's let's do this. Obnoxious. Yeah. Anyway, I still like King. He's still a good writer. Yeah, you don't have to like everything that it, 
anything and everything that a person does, that's rare. Yeah, yeah, that's super rare. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. And as much rare. as I fanboyed about, as much as I fanboyed about Sanderson, like, listen, I've read two books by him, and maybe I'll think if I ever get to Mistborn, maybe I'll think Mistborn is you know complete no Mistborn's trash. good. The one that there's contention on is Elantris. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I've heard that because it's his first published book. And, like, I really like Sanderson a lot, but Elantris, like, the pacing's not right. And it's just because you can see the inexperience, because it's his first published novel. But the thing is, I say inexperienced very lightly, because before he published Elantris, he had written 19 novels. 19! That didn't get published. Like, that's, that's a, a lot feat. of practice. That's a, yeah. That's, and that's only what he's told us about. That's not even, like, what he hasn't told us about. Because you know it's there. And so it's no disrespect. It's just that Elantris... And he has said this about Mistborn in particular. when Because Mistborn will probably be the first movie made. Due to the timeline of, of the Cosmere and things. That there are things that he would change. Because he's a better writer now. And, da, 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 and it's like, okay, cool. But, man. He wants to... He's going to... He's not wants. He will be doing a second a sequel to Elantris. Because there are things that are not told yet. And it's part of the story. And I get that. It's cool. But man, Elantris is not my favorite book. But the thing yeah. is, like, we have to appreciate it at some point because we wouldn't have gotten the other 19 novels that he has published. Sorry, I think he actually is on 51 at this point for, like, not just Cosmere, but, like, books that are published that he has sold. Yeah, he, he does kids' novels, too. And they're Pre-young adult. They're good. Like, there's a, yeah. there's a book called Arithmetist, which is, like, it is 100% a kids' novel, but the idea is that when you draw with chalk, it comes to life and the chalk fights each other it's these 2d chalk drawings that fight each other and it's like pokemon meets chalk drawings meets like a kid in a wizard school colloquial speaking it's fun i read it it's there's no sequel to it but it's like wow this is a fun story like very enjoyable but it's still a kid's book and and yeah, anyway we divulged we're you know we'll we'll yeah this is a this isn't a side quest anymore this is a this is a this is a new quest um, but all that to say, yeah. Elantris is not my favorite book. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The last thing about the adaptation stuff, there's a woman who, this is from the academic paper, and uh, I guess apologies to you and the and the audience, I should have read more of this paper than I did. The St Strugowski brothers were involved in some of the script adaptation with Tarkovsky. They, they were also, despite some of the, maybe misgivings they had about how it turned out on cinema, which, like I said, were a lot less than I believed to them to be when I started the, that side rant. They were involved in the script, and they even decided to um, change some of the elements that they would think would be better structure for cinema. Okay. So it's it's more gray than I, in, than I thought. There's whatever. That, that's it. We'll... We'll leave that. Well, that horse is dead, and well, I that's think that's part it, one. Right? Yeah, part one of Roadside Picnic. Uh, we want you to tag a friend. We want you to comment on the episode. What what stuck out to you? Have you read it? Have you not read it? Are you going to read it now? We want to know all the things. And as always, goodbye, good people. <laughs>